All I have is a heavy hope. Greetings and welcome back to the Fireside Podcast, where our mission is to create good kingdom culture, equip the church, and glorify God. I'm Jeremiah. This installment will include part two of Jeff Youngblood's story, as well as a continued discussion about Jeff's philosophy of art and the church, how it has been handled throughout the history of the church, and how we can better utilize it in our contemporary worship gatherings. We hope you enjoy. So that you, now you guys are back in the states. How are you in, trying to integrate your art in faithful ways? I guess. Right. I feel like for the most part, we've, we've both sort of been on an inner journey more than anything. The honor thing that I was speaking about in Latvia, um, you know, people, a lot of doors were open to us, you know, to do ministry and to minister to people. Um, and we started doing the youth group there basically because there wasn't one, <laughs> you know, so we just started meeting with the youth. There was no formal meeting about it. It was like, hey, let's start hanging out with these kids because they need someone to like mentor them in life and disciple them. And, and then I got asked to help with uh, something called Fusion Choir, which is, this is a really cool, um, that it's not an organization, but it's an arm of Josiah Venture, which is an international ministry. Um, they have this thing called Fusion Choir. And basically they would take kids um, from anywhere, like didn't need to be Christians, whatever. And you'd work f- with them for a couple of months teach them songs and instruments and like anybody could come it wasn't like oh no we only want the ones with talent it was like no if you want to sing and hold a concert then we'll teach you and you'll have a part and so I led that with kids that were in my church and you know we would have a meeting every week and rehearse and I'd do a little devo that wasn't like over the top like bible but Mm -hmm. it was like they knew I was a Christian you know and I would just talk about life and um and then we'd have a concert after about, I think, three or four months. And there, you know, the whole community would come. Their parents would come. And it was a really cool, cool sort of deal. Um, you know, I'd love to see something like that here in the States. I mean, there probably is. I just don't mm-hmm. know about it. But when we came back here, it was like there just weren't that many doors that seemed open. You know, we, we taught at a thing in St. Louis um, at the house of prayer there. Um, we, we did a couple other things and, but the ministry opportunities just seemed to like sort of dry up. And, um, I, you know, I, I felt like that was God's will in retrospect at the time. It was difficult though. Cause you feel like your role is changing and you don't understand. And like, so it was like, I didn't fit over there. I come back here and I don't fit here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of true if you go anywhere and live overseas for a while. Once you come back, you're you're like a man without a yeah, country. like reverse culture shock. Yeah, yeah. I, and I don't think you ever get over that. Like I don't I don't feel like I'll ever fit completely again in the United States. I mean, I think that's something that's just a deep change that's going on inside my heart. Like uh, something about like expanding your horizons. Then when you, like, you go back into your original context, you have to reinterpret everything through your expanded horizons. Right. And then everything is just completely different, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the same thing happened to me when I, even just from backpacking through Europe for three weeks, like I come back and I'm just like, now I have to deal with this again. You yeah. Know, like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 Coffee for me was the big thing. I came yeah. back and you, you got to Co- reinterpret what Coca-Cola. coffee's all about. And you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Coca-Cola. Coffee? This isn't coffee. This is not. <laughs> yeah. It's rubbish. Yeah, I, I sort of feel like 
everyone should have that experience if they mm-hmm. can, especially if you're a Christian, because for me, it's a reminder, right? That we don't, we're not supposed to fit in this world because this world is broken and fallen and there should be a part deep inside of us. that's like aching for a land that we haven't been to yet. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like I've experienced that in the natural. And so I'm more aware of it in the spiritual. Mm. Right? Because it's it's just revealing something I feel like that is a deeper spiritual truth. Like, mm-hmm. we're not really made for this world. I mean, Adam and Eve were made for this world. Mm-hmm. But then when it fell and everyone after, it's like, this world's fallen and it's broken. We're not ever really supposed to fit here. Mm. So let me ask you, how do you reconcile that with doing art? Because... And I think this is this is something that I struggle with, really in, in anything. And I think it, it it moves into every area of life. But how do you, as a believer, that says that like we're not meant to fit in this world, and you know things are going to change one day, right? Right. You know this world's going to be destroyed. We're in the new creation, right? Like, how do you look at that? And then, especially as an artist, pour pour so much time and energy into creating things that are for here. You know, and and I hope this isn't like sound like offensive by any means. This is something that I'm thinking about, like with this whole fireside project. It's like I want to make something that has value, but then it's it's tough to know that something has value when it's completely temporal. You know, like like when it has a definite end, and and I think that you know probably plays into just glorifying God and everything we do is important. But I mean, I'm just, I'm just interested in what you have to say, like what you think about that. Is that, does my question make sense? Yeah, I mean, this is something I've thought a lot about. And I wouldn't say that I have it figured out yet completely. And for some reason, my brain kind of wants to go towards environmentalism. Mm-hmm. And like why that's important as a Christian. But it's yeah, something that's absolutely. not really embraced or even talked about that yeah. much. But the reason I see a correlation is there's an underlying truth. And that is that this world doesn't belong to us. Mm. Right. And so whatever we have, we're borrowing like it's it belongs to God. And that's why environmentalism is important. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you wouldn't. I mean, if you're walking down the street and you see some guy's lawn, there's an understanding that you wouldn't just like pull the flowers out of his lawn or throw garbage in it. Right. Because it's his lawn. Mm -hmm. And in the same sense, like this world, we've been entrusted with it, but ultimately it doesn't belong to us. And in a wider sense, like whatever talents you have, you know, whatever endeavors you have, I mean, everything is temporal, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it doesn't belong to you. And I feel like that sort of helps me like I'll relate it to us to a to a personal. I'll make this really personal for me. I a few years ago, let's see, this would have been around 2010. I had a gallery from Sometime around between 2007 and 2009, I owned an art gallery downtown. And it sort of fell apart, and due to my own just ego and negligence and, and all sorts of reasons. But it put me to this point where I was like, you know what? My, my, pursuit, my pursuit of art seems broken and like it just led me down to this place that I'd never intended to go. My Christianity was kind of bankrupted at this point. Like it just hit rock bottom. And so I gave up art. 
like mm-hmm. for good as far as I was concerned. I'm like, I'm never doing art again, God, you know. Anyways, about a year later, I was up in New York City and I'm on the subway and I have a book that's just a journal that I'm like writing my thoughts and, and I started sketching without even thinking about it, right? And before I know it, I have this subway drawing of these people on the subway and like, and it hit me and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I broke this promise that I made to God that I wouldn't do art, you know? And I had another one of those moments where God broke in and he was really convicting and then really encouraging at the same time. Basically, he said to me, it's okay. I created you to do this. You're supposed to be doing this. Mm. You were just doing it for all the wrong reasons Mm. and in all the wrong ways. You know? And then, so the last story I told you, God broke in strong and ended soft. Well, this time he started soft and then came in strong. And he said, in fact... You're going to have to answer to me when you see me. What did you do with the things that I entrusted you, your gifts and abilities that I invested in you? What return am I going to get on my investment? Because you're going to have to tell me when I see you. Right? So then I was like, whoa. Like, I was just ready to give up these artistic things as if I could just let go of them. Right? Mm -hmm. But God's like, hey, these don't belong to you. Mm -hmm. I've entrusted to you these things. Not everybody can do this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody has what's in your heart that I've put in there. And so it's not up to you to just say, well, I don't understand why this is important or I can just give this up for a while or, you know, oh, I'm done with that because I had a bad experience or, you know, and everybody needs to take a break sometimes. So I'm not trying to be a, a hard neck about that, but... You know, it took God saying, hey, you know, this is not just some fruitless thing. It's not some coincidence that you make art. You know, there's something in your heart and there's something in your abilities that I've given you that's supposed to be used. And it's supposed to, you know, affect the environment around you. It's supposed to affect the world. What are you doing with it? How are you honing it? Are you burying it under a bushel? Are you are you taking those talents, you know, and, and putting them, burying them for no one to see. Like, Yeah. I'm, I'm liking what you're saying. When I, when I think of art and why I, why is art important? When I try to answer that question, I think, well, part of the, part of why, why is art important is I see that God is an artist himself and that, he has um, bestowed the image of himself on to each right. one of us, and specifically, that image is Christ. Yeah. And so, when when I'm thinking of, you know, how can my art, whatever that might look like, how can that, what, what does that need to do for this world? And I, I think, well, it needs to reflect who God is and. And what he wants to do with this world. And part of the reason why I uh, just love to look at art is because of the the stories that pictures or music or any sort of mm-hmm. art can... can it, it just tells amazing stories. And that's something like 
I struggle with, like, how do I tell a good story? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or how do I paint or draw this thing that's in my head to where it points to something beyond and beyond? I mean, how does it point back to Jesus or right. how does it point back to God? I was asking uh, kind of about your wife's uh, faith background because I was like, I was just hoping she had some Eastern Orthodoxy. Um <laughs> Because because of this reason is because I wanted to speak about like icon um, iconography and like how much um, if she had any influence um, in that type of artwork and because that's something I've been investing and, and looking into and I just find it really really interesting on how um, art is uh, portrayed in iconography right. and how those images of Jesus or stories of Jesus are, are drawn in a, such a way as to tell us, um, you know, they're, they're little sermons in a picture mm-hmm. and how powerful they can be. And so, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to talk about, I mean, that takes me into a direction of why the church split in the first place. Right. But I had a thought, too, about what you were talking about that I wanted to get out there, and then we'll, let's come mm, back to yeah. this. Because you were talking about the temporal, okay? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is important to understand is how significant beauty and imagination is to God himself. So let's bring this into the Bible and talk about something we can, we can relate it to. The Holy of Holies, right? Mm-hmm. It's a room that one guy goes into one day a year, and yet there was this specific plan about how it was supposed to be decorated, mm. right? And like these things that were supposed to be carved and painted and the colors, and it's like only one dude can see this. Mm. Like other than God, there's only the one dude who's gonna be able to enjoy this and appreciate it. And, and like he didn't even really get to, like he had to like go in backwards or whatever and like yeah right and do all this weird and it's not even sometimes they died in there and so he didn't even get to (laughs) didn't get to enjoy it anyways right yeah but it was important to god yeah Yeah. right yeah and then he also another thing he commissioned which i found this super fascinating um there's one part in the old testament where he talks he tells him specifically to paint these blue pomegranates Hmm. right blue pomegranates don't exist in nature so it's like, what's that all about? Like, why would God tell him to paint blue pomegranates? Hmm. And we know genetically they didn't exist back then either. Hmm. Like, this is not some kind of plant that, that died out and doesn't exist anymore. Like, this never existed. Hmm. But it's in the Old Testament. So it's like artistic expression. Like, that's like a big part of artistic expression is like taking the context you know and then like... Taking it some Some different there. direction. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and I, and I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this either. We always think about the tabernacle and how there may not have been that much creativity, right? Because God is telling all these really specific things and all these specific measurements and all these things that have to be there. Mm-hmm. But what about the stuff he doesn't tell them? Like, have you seen pictures of the ark? Like, more than one picture of mm-hmm. the ark? Do they look the same? No. No, they never do. Yeah. So there's creativity inside. It's like it's like, you know, notes on an octave scale, mm-hmm. or 
you know, notes on the, on the music bars. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, everything has to be within this range, but there's an immense amount of freedom in it for expression. So it's like God is like, hey, I, this has to be there, mm-hmm. but I want you to participate. Mm-hmm. I want you to fill in the blanks. I'm not going to tell you exactly how to do it. There's things that have to be there, and these are the parameters. And I feel like that's a paradigm for worship in general. Mm. Like we can't just worship like the pagans worship, right? Like that's a big theme in the Old Testament, like running through. Like you can't just worship me however you feel mm-hmm. like. There's some right? rules. but you Right, but you also don't have to be a robot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think about like the culinary world. And they say that America's culinary scene uh, in the grand scheme of things is um, – I mean, I don't want to say it lacking, but it's it's hampered in that we have everything available to us. Right. Uh, and so, like, chefs, like, there's this chef called Magnus Nilsson. Yeah. Uh, his name is Magnus Nilsson, and he's just super incredible, right? So he's in uh, uh, Sweden, and he Marcus lives... Samuelson, I think. Uh, no, I'm definitely talking Dark about... Dark-skinned guy? No. Okay. No. I'm thinking of somebody else. Well, there, so there's probably a good story here, too. But, like, uh, Magnus Nilsson is this chef who uh, was highlighted on this show, Chef's Table, uh, Netflix series, Mind of a Chef. And anyways, uh, just, like, is all about Nordic cuisine, right? Yeah, it's Restaurants Noma, I think it's called. I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, it's, like, mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, so, but his whole thing is that, like, there is nothing available to them there. Like, they have almost no naturally occurring resources for a chef. And so he does things like collects leaves from the forest floor and incorporates that into his dishes. And he has this huge root cellar that's probably the size of this room where they just pickle things and preserve things. And so he's like... He's like, I've been dealt a hand. And he, you know, he could be anywhere in the world. He's proven. He's now an international chef. He's been dealt his hand with, like, three cards. And he's got to make a straight somehow. And, like, he's doing it, right? And he'll yeah. tell you that that is the greatest artistic expression that he can possibly do is being given so many limitations. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting that, that it's exactly what you're saying. God said, okay, this needs to be here. We need, to have, we need to have X, Y, and Z, right? But then how you interpret that or how you uh, participate in that is up to you. Um, and, I mean, what you're talking about, the ark, yeah, there's no two pictures of the temple that look the same. There's no two pictures of the Holy of Holies that look the same. There's no or two pictures. Even Jesus. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, it says, like, put two uh, cherubim or whatever, right, on the, the ark. Yeah. And it's like, what is what is that even? And why is that okay? Right. Why is that not a graven image? Why, hey. did, why did Moses Moses get commissioned to, to build this the serpent in the wilderness and then... Yeah. Fast forward. Yeah. It becomes a source of idolatry. And then God commands him to destroy it. And mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, th- I think it's really cool that you bring up the Holy of Holies, especially. I mean, I never thought about that. Like, that's not for us. That's for him. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool to think about. Yeah. And that's temporal. I mean, that's gone now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I even think about, um, they say that uh, when. Antiochus Epiphany storms the the temple, goes into the holies of holies. There's no Ark of the Covenant there, and the people don't even know. Like nobody even knows that the Ark of the Covenant is gone, and like we have no idea now what happened to it. You know, there's all these legends that it's like in Africa or whatever, but like we have no idea where it is. And so, a people didn't even know what was happening in the Holy of Holies. 
because the only one person that had to go in there you felt the the need to keep the the mystery alive or the secret alive whatever and so uh Antiochus Epiphanes goes and storms it and and he's he's about to offer like a uh like a blasphemous sacrifice right he's gonna sacrifice a pig or something and there's nothing to sacrifice the pig on and nobody knows and nobody knows why either so it's so it's so interesting that it's such a well-kept secret but it's still important like all those details were still important yeah so speaking of things we're not supposed to see or do when it when it comes to art let's talk about icon let's go back to the icon subject of icons one of the things that i want to say about that is i believe that there are still wounds within the protestant church mm-hmm. with regard to art that affect the way the protestant church does or does not embrace the arts mm-hmm. and from my perspective it all goes back to martin luther in the 95 was it 95 uh, yeah 95, 95 theses yeah. and what that was all about right because even some of the best works of art that are universally recognized the Sistine Chapel, mm-hmm. great example, mm-hmm. was partially funded from indulgences, right? Mm-hmm. Which, is like, which is like corruption and usury and all that sliminess that was going on. That's wound up with the arts, and it's associated with the arts. And, you know, for all the reasons the Protestant church broke off with the Catholic Church, I sort of feel like the baby was thrown out with the bathwater. And there's a fear that still exists today. Art, creativity, dangerous, mm-hmm. scary, mm-hmm. tied up with corruption. And even the visual is this somehow inherently dangerous and, and, and soiled, mm-hmm. right? And I have in my heart, and I have no clue how I would ever accomplish this in some small scale, I hope to, it's like to wound that, to like heal that, that breach. Mm-hmm. And I see that as my role, part of why I make art and create art is to heal that mindset and that emotional, spiritual, like how I can't explain to you how a wound that happened 600 or however many years ago still exists, but I feel like it does. 500 this year. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's there. Right. I'm, I don't yeah. know church history. I'm not good with it. I know yeah. a few things here and there. but No, and that's the classic conundrum of the, the Protestant churches. We've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And, and ultimately, that's like, I mean, that's the curse of humanity, right? We're always throwing babies out with bathwater everywhere. Um, but I remember... I remember. Uh, that's, that's just. It's just funny because Houston always says that, and then you said it, and I was just trying. I can't think of Houston laughing. when somebody or somebody says that, and I'm just like, yeah. I think of Houston. It's meant to be, man. It's meant to be. <laughs> no, because that's like such a fitting. Like exactly, we lost art because we saw opulence, right? Yeah. Uh, so I was in Italy a couple months ago, actually, with my family, and I remember we were in Vatican, and it's. Uh, just incredible. And and we didn't even go in the St. Peter's Basilica. We were just outside uh, hearing like an address from the Pope. And it was just really incredible. Believers from all over the world. Super cool experience. 
Um, but I'm just looking around at the tops of St. Peter's Basilica, and there's just these incredible statues that are just, you know, afterthoughts to this this whole building, just so meticulously designed. And uh, we didn't get a chance to go in, but my parents were telling me about, like, when they went there before. They're like, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty, but... A lot of money went into that church. Oh, it's yeah. like, why didn't they go, you know, help the sick and poor instead of their investing money in the, the buildings? And it's like, you know, then I say, well, you know, this money that they raise in Vatican goes to funding organizations like Ch- Catholic Charities, which, you know, well, it used to go. I mean, Catholic Charities isn't a part of the Catholic Church anymore, little known fact. Um, but it used to go to places like Joplin, Missouri, and would help our community try to fight off poverty. And so, yeah, this Vatican uh, opulence that you're having so many problems about is actually what's helping fund, right. well, you know, know, projects here at home. I know that there, I mean, even as an artist, I have that in my heart. Mm-hmm. Like when I see, I mean, I've been to these Eastern Orthodox mm-hmm. churches. I've been to some really elaborate, and I've seen the poor people right there begging mm-hmm. out. I mean, you go anywhere through Eastern Europe and, and walk by an Orthodox church and you will see older women begging for money with almost without fail. Everyone I've ever passed mm-hmm. has women who regularly stand there every day and like and they need the money. I mean, it's not like they're not like some beggars in some places that are like making a better living than you and me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's some real need there. And it's like, how do how do you counterbalance that with? This gold-encrusted, you know, building that costs in today's money, I don't know, $30 million? The GDP of America, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know that a part of my heart rises up against that. I'm like, this is just wrong. Mm-hmm. But then I think of Judas, like mm-hmm. the story of Judas and mm-hmm. the woman who poured out the perfume, right? Yeah. Because my thought is like, oh, you know, we could have not necessarily fed the poor, but done something with all this money. Like there's so Mm -hmm. much need. Right. And Jesus is like, you don't understand like what this woman just did. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like the Catholic church was that woman or anything like that. I'm just saying there's something wrong in my heart. Yeah. That we can't appreciate artistic expression. Keeps me from fully enjoying and appreciating artistic Mm -hmm. expression Mm -hmm. that might've cost money. Mm hmm. Well, and I think it's even interesting, like as an artist, you are fed by the art that you produce. And then where does your money go? Like sustaining yourself and your family. But then surely you give to a church or to some organization, right? And then where does that money go? I mean, it's like what we see about community development now in the 21st century is that this whole throwing like resources at... Um, problems doesn't fix them. What we have to do is like raise up the whole community, and it's like a uh, uh, like an interwoven uh, series of effects that um, that bring everybody up. And so, what I always think about when I see art in like the Catholic Church is that the church is the sole reason why uh, the arts are still around. At certain points in history, yeah. like at extremely poor periods of time, the church was commissioning all of the art, mm-hmm. right? And and preserving and preserving is a big one too. Yeah, and and you know while we're in Italy, we see things like the David, which is really cool and and really funny because 
uh, Michelangelo is just flipping a big middle finger to Rome, and they're the ones paying his check. So there's there's a lot of interesting things there. But like we have so many different, like we have so many stages in art history because the church thought it was important to make these things that are glorifying to God, and not just that, but like support people who are making things that are glorifying to God. Like Michelangelo did very well for himself, right? Because he proved to the Catholic Church that, that he could make quality stuff, and the church thought this was important for glorifying God. And, and of course, corruption was involved in that. Like, you know, there was all kinds of scandal between Michelangelo and the, the church and, and his family and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's just exactly what you're saying before is that when we throw out this corruption opulence, opulence issue, uh, we always run the risk of throwing out this glorification of God through the arts. Right. Yeah, there's there's a reverence factor that yes. that we we need to hold on to. Uh, I mean, I've been inside of the Vatican and I've I've felt puny, you know, while being in there. Like, you, as soon as you walk into that building, it's just like I am totally insignificant here. Like, yeah, yeah it's it definitely allows you to worship just by walking into a building. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's insane. Yeah, I, I feel like you know the Jesus is my homeboy wasn't designed by someone who was, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it's a different attitude and it's a different, it's a different perspective. Yeah. You know, when, when in the, you know, most, most mainstream Protestant stuff, if it is nice, it's to attract people. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But most of the Catholic stuff, it's like, Hey, this is to reflect the glory of God. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, were, we were talking about this at lunch today, actually. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a different mindset, you know? Yeah. They say that um, the the director of the old X-Men movies. So Brian Singer was being interviewed. I think it was on the Liturgist podcast, actually. So Brian Singer was being I, I, I heard some interview uh, where he talked about how in the Protestant church, um, we don't produce a lot of movie directors. But in the Catholic church, they produce a lot of movie directors. Mel Gibson, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about him. Long, you know, long before he made The Passion, he actually had a really good career in film. And uh, shoot, Al Pacino, right? Catholic, <laughs> right? Isn't he direct? Are you sure he's Catholic just because he went into because he's Italian. the Godfather? Yeah, of course he is. He's Italian, just, brother. Did you just? <laughs> no, he had a list. Anyways, I, I'll cut Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. That's it. God, I'm Martin Scorsese. Yes. See it. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, so he talked about how the Catholic Church produces directors much, you know, more frequently, more frequently than the Protestant Church does, and a big part of that he. Uh, attributed to like visually the Catholic church engages so much more than the Protestant church does mm-hmm. that we, that they engage in, in worship visually much more than we do. And he, he attributed that a lot to directors and, and producers in Hollywood. Yeah. I think, I mean, our culture today is in a very unique situation uh, with art uh, because, you know, we are such an aesthetic culture. We want we want something constantly appealing our senses. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, any, any medium of art is, is going to be appealing. It's like what we were talking about at lunch today about the cool church model and about how, uh, mm. like, you know, we need to, we need to be hip and get like all the upbeat worship music and stuff going. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's cool every once in a while, but like, we, I think we're in this time of like, people are recognizing, Hey, yeah, like we need more reflective time in our worship and we need, we need Mm -hmm. that reverence factor present. Um, and so we can use art to do that. 
I mean, I think what you're hinting at is people are looking for something that speaks deeper. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that's what art does. Yeah. Good speaking art, truth. <laughs> good art speaks deeply. Right. And it challenges us. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, the you know, there's so much bad art coming out of the Protestant church because we're afraid. It, it goes back to this. We're afraid of creativity in art itself. Mm-hmm. And so we're producing this stuff that's kind of. The lowest common denominator, and, and we, we're, we're trying to make something that's going to appeal to people rather than something that's going to speak truth mm. and, and speak beauty mm-hmm. and challenge mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah. And not just appeal to people in general, but a specific group of people. Yeah, like, like we're focusing more on uh, yielding results than producing quality mm-hmm. content, right? Which is ironic because when you produce quality content you get results, right? Like, like you will yield results if you're doing things well and doing things with excellence and, and producing art that speaks deeply. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be the, the hip new thing. Yeah. It, like, you know, I, I always think about, um, like us and like what we're doing and it's like, we can't just try to cater to whatever people want. We have to figure out like what we can contribute and like do that. And then, I hope that that like you know clicks with people, right? Well, to me, it's the difference between a boy band that was put together by a group of producers, mm-hmm. right? Who handpicked these boys for the way that they look. Hey, let's get let's get a black guy in there, a Spanish guy, and you know, and mm-hmm. there's a difference between that and Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan, bad voice, can't even play the guitar really that well when he started out. I mean, he, he learned over the years. He was not a very good harmonica player, but the man was authentic, and he wrote what was on his heart, mm. and it, like, it impacted a whole generation and generations after that. Like, that guy caught on like fire because he was just so real and raw and mm-hmm. truthful, and, and, like, he expressed something really beautiful. Right, yeah. Just by being himself and not... Like the, but then the you know the boy band is like, hey, what do we? How can we really appeal to people? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how how can we give them exactly what they want? You know? Yeah, yeah. That authenticity and <clears throat> vulnerability factor. That's that's something I've seen just in my own walk in ministry. Like as a worship minister, um, I've had plenty of people come up to me and just be like, you know, I just really appreciate how you you're you're not hiding anything back. Like you. You're not afraid to share, you know, if something's been bothering you throughout the week and, you know, let that, you know, help guide us into um, our song or something, you know, just um, making that connection, breaking down the barrier so people can, one, like more engage with what's happening in the Mm -hmm. moment, but obviously engage with God more in that moment, too, because they're completely vulnerable themselves. It's good stuff. And that, I mean, that's what good art does. Mm -hmm. It's vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. The dawn will come If we're running out of time Then we're running into love Yeah, so I've been thinking about that a lot lately in like worship specifically on Sundays what we sing and how we have this tendency to only sing happy uplifting songs and you know I would never say that those are bad things but we tell a story in our worship and like how we worship and uh, I think there's so much of a temptation to either show one dimension 
of emotion or the other, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And so like in worship, we only sing very happy things or very like sober things. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just know that our church, we just fight so hard to sing through a complete story every worship. Um, you know, we start with like the song, beautiful things. And that song starts like hopeless, right? It's like, there's so much pain in this world. Can there ever be hope? And it slowly builds into this kind of turning point where, where God, this creator that created recreates. And then, so we, we try to work through like a story in worship Mm -hmm. where we start off with like this despair of the fall. And then we go to the, the sacrifice in resurrection of Christ, and then we move on to like the new life in Him, yeah. kind of story and worship, and it's it's something that's just been incredible for us. Um, I mean, it's just really transformed like our time together. But I just think about how easy it is to leave out the bad part and say that it's not authentic and real, mm-hmm. um, and then also how easy it is to just focus on the bad part and just say just like confuse pain and suffering for authenticity. Right. Because like the full authentic story is, yes, there was the fall, the pain and suffering, but Christ did come and we do have hope in the future. And um, I mean, just the world is so content to say um, like, you know, we look at TV shows like, oh, that character had no death. It's like, no, you mean he had no flaws. Right. It's not the same thing. And, and, and this, is a, this is a soapbox I'm going to climb on, I guess. But um, I wrote an article today about Superman and how I used to hate Superman because he was so good. And then now, like, as an adult, I love Superman for the same reason I used to hate him, that he's so good. And it's like, I don't know. I used to confuse Superman not being interesting because he didn't have weakness or whatever, right? And so, what I'm, yeah, this roundabout, long-winded thing i'm trying to say yeah no <laughs> you're, you're right. uh no what i'm trying to say is that like we we have to speak this whole story in, in what we do and uh honestly one of my gripes with artists filmmakers musicians is that you know we confuse darkness with reality and and darkness is only part of reality and so we have to tell this whole story of, yes, there is darkness, but the light has won, you know? And so, like, we can still rejoice and we can still lament, too, even in the same breaths. Like, David was not afraid to worship, lament, worship, lament. I mean, it was like an on I mean, the guy was, like, bipolar, right? He just <laughs> flipping back and forth. But you need that whole story. Like, I don't know of any psalm going through the entire book of Psalms that starts sad, goes sad, and, and ends sad. It's I mean, you're some, talking purely about worship, or do you think this should apply to the arts? Or like, what, I, what I do think it should apply to the arts. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, and so that's that's where I'm struggling well, with. What keeps coming to my mind is the movie God's Not Dead, which for me is like one of the worst movies. <laughs> yeah, ever. see, I haven't even seen right? it because that's exactly what I hear. Because it's, it's just got like, like the, it's just the sanitized version of reality, yeah. mm-hmm. right? It's just been covered in hand sanitizer. You know, yeah, and it and it's got the pop song at the end where the guy gets saved and like, but it's yay, also let's like, go to Disneyland. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have the you know the protagonist that dies at the end, and yeah. it's almost like a revenge story for Christians in a way too. Right? There's that bad element, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but what I'm saying is, <laughs> it shows the darkness, like this yeah. really aggressive atheism, and mm-hmm. 
And then it shows that the light wins, mm-hmm. but it's just not a version I'm very happy yeah. with. Yeah. Because it's so, I mean, I think I already said it, but it's just so sanitized and mm-hmm. just unreal. And I don't think it really speaks to anyone. It, it confirms some people's biases. That's all it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and to contrast that, I think of the book, The Stranger by Albert Camus. Uh, if you're familiar, that the the whole book is just about this guy who is fairly maladjusted, who like loses his mom and goes nothing crazy. happens, goes crazy. But essentially, nothing. I mean, it's just like Camus was very much a uh, uh, existentialist. Yeah, yeah. But specifically, where like nothing matters. Nihilist. nihilist. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah, you. Nihilist. He was specifically a nihilist. He wrote a book called The Myth of Sisyphus, where the whole premise of the book yeah. is that Sisyphus, the uh, the Greek hero, was... Condemned. Condemned. Yeah, and so he pushes a, a bo- rock up a hill. Uh, it rolls over him and, like, crushes him and then rolls back to the bottom of the hill, and the next day he's got to start again. He's like, this is what humanity is, right? And Albert Camus said, yep, this is exactly what humanity is, guys. And he, and he says things like, we shouldn't let that get us down, and, you know, does a whole little song and dance number i guess but it it, you know just falls flat and that's so evident in the stranger right that that this guy goes crazy because there is no value or no meaning to life and so i you know contrast that with god's not dead and like when you have sanitized versions of either side you know we don't paint the the right picture with it you know and so yeah absolutely i mean i again i've not seen the movie but Everything I've heard is exactly like that. I've had people, like, I've seen their reviews online and stuff. Like, oh, what a great movie. And I'm like, yeah. did we see the same movie? See, and again, that's <laughs> actually, that's exactly the same. Like, people like it for the same exact reason that secular people like. Um, the Saw. Uh, the Saw, yeah, exactly. It's like, um, or or these, like, dark, gritty shows that are just meaninglessly dark and gritty. Um, it's like people are like, well, it's just so real. And then like the Christians are like, oh, this is just so real. It's like, no, you're confusing some portion of your reality with the entirety of it, you know? And when we focus on flaws and, and like failings as the reality, right, the, the human aspect of things, then, yeah, we only enjoy shows where I, people I, suck. Yeah. The sad thing to me about that movie was like I felt like it was a caricature of unbelievers. And yeah. in an insulting way. Yeah. Like, we don't need to set up a straw man to knock it over. Like, we do have the best story. Sorry, the liturgists. <laughs> like, we do have the best story. And so we don't need to set up this straw man where, like, this guy is just nonsensically aggressive and, like, dies at the end, right? Yeah. Like Spoiler he, alert. He gets hit by a car. Or, and like Because God smote him for right. being an atheist. And then, and then, the, then he can, turns to God. Right, because the pastor comes over and approaches him in, while he's dying in the road and says, do you, really, do you believe in God? And he like gives his life to God right before he dies. I mean, it's almost <laughs> it's like, it's like straight out of a chicken. Even, as, yeah. even yeah. as Christians, we can't let the bad guy lose, right? we right. got I mean, to save him in the, the end. The script was written by Czech publications. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just... Man... So somebody asked earlier, I think it might have been you, as a Christian, how do I... Do you remember what I'm, what I'm getting at? How do you integrate art into your Christian faith? Right. So what this makes me think about is, like, if you want to write a good story, first of all, just live a good story, right? Mm. Just live well. Um, I heard it said earlier today by one of the speakers, the world doesn't need more Christian art. It needs more Christians making good art, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
And that's the difference mm-hmm. between God's Not Dead and a Scorsese movie, right? Mm-hmm. Good. So, yeah, I mean, that whole thing of, like, don't try to make Christian art, you know? Just love God and, and try to do with excellence. Like, so you know? much of the church inside the... I mean, that so much of the art inside of the church is, like... It's sort of like, it feels like the bless me club, you know, like, Mm -hmm. let's sit around and paint pretty pictures. And part of this, what I'm talking about is like the whole prophetic thing of like getting up in front of churches and doing the, you know, Jesus painting and all that. And it's like that art cannot stand on its own. People can. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, well, inside of some Protestant churches, like people will have, they'll be doing art on stage, you know, like Uh during the worship music or whatever. And like. 99% 99% of it is just, it's bollocks, man. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, I'm just being brutally honest. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that lower level of, of, it's like saying love is hearts, you know, or mm-hmm. red mm-hmm. or roses. It's like shallow expression. Yeah. It's a shallow expression and, yeah. it, and it doesn't, it doesn't even have artistic and, you know, merit of much of, of much of anything mm-hmm. but people talk about how it's anointed and yada 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 and it's like well it can be anointed as much as you want it mm-hmm. take it out there in the world and it's not having an effect what does that tell you like, yeah. it's just not done with excellence and you're not challenging yourself you're not you're not honing your craft mm-hmm. you know yeah i think about uh if you go to like a bookstore and in the christian section there's the christian fiction section and you'll notice that the only people ever there are the like conservative Christian like women, right? Reading their yeah. Christian sanitized version of trashy romance yeah. novels. I was I was going through the Christian fiction. I got a gift card to a Christian bookstore, and I was like, man, I'm just waiting for the day when the Left Behind series is here. I just couldn't <laughs> find it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, for it. I somebody gave me those like to read years ago, and it was just unreadable for me. Like, yeah, to I think two, maybe three max chapters. And I was like, man, this writing is yeah. terrible. No, what we have to fight against is this mentality of like, oh, the culture is suppressing uh, Christian expression, right? And in a lot of ways it is, for sure. Um, but a lot of people will suggest that, no, culture is just not um, taking whatever craft the church is dumping on it anymore. Right. You know? So exactly what you're talking about in, in the Left Behind series and then these these other books, like they just don't stand up to what other people are doing. And so does that mean that we should cry persecution at the first sign of that? No, we should step up our game and make quality stuff and then like let it speak for itself. And then, you know, then we'll talk about persecution, I guess. But anyways, so like I think about the... Uh, the director of the new Doctor Strange movie is supposedly a strong believer. And he has just decided that he's going to get out there and he's going to produce quality uh, content. And it's not like some cheesy Christian thematic, like God's Not Dead or whatever Hallmark movie you want to turn on. I mean, he's just making something good, but it's also wholesome. And it's also like got some good themes in it. And, and it's just good, you know? And then what an opportunity he has now to, to witness to somebody in a world that is so short of good witnesses. I mean, that's, that's a powerful thing to me. Yeah. I think it's all about just being, just being true to yourself, really. Mm. I, I feel like, you know, in the Christian life, there's so much 
things that you have to hold in tension. You know? mm -hmm. And if you've read much theology, I think that that phrase even that I just used might sound familiar to mm -hmm. you. Like whole of like, how does one one guy puts? Maybe it's Piper of like, almost but not yet. You know, like mm -hmm. yes, we are a new creation spiritually, but in the practical outworking of it, it's like we're fighting daily mm -hmm. to to attain that reality. Yeah, you know. I used to wear a rubber band on my wrist so that I could remember to live in the tension. You know, the tension oh, yeah. Listeners at home, there's a there DIY project to <laughs> be more. Is that some sort of pun? Like live in the t tension, the elastic tension? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. <laughs> it helped, it helped um, remind me that I need to live hmm. in the tension. Yeah. And I think that's what I was saying earlier about uh, we can't confuse like this sanitized. Uh, I keep saying that word because I love that word now. This giddy goody goody you know everything's happy world with goodness and then we also can't confuse this everything's crappy everything sucks total darkness world with reality right we have to keep those two things in tension well as as uh doug welch the speaker tonight said the world needs beauty you know beauty mm -hmm. is transformative mm -hmm. it's like um what food, water, and oxygen is to the body, like beauty is to the soul. Like mm. the soul needs beauty. It's like, um, you know, he talked about how the same week that we're having this camp where we're teaching kids to speak beauty and truth through their art and their music. Um, you know, there's, you know, he mentioned some tragic stories. Like there was a woman in Texas who left two of her kids in her car for 18 hours and they died. You know, he's like, this also happened this week, you know? Well. And so there's, there's all these bad and tragic things that are happening out there. And like the world is gasping, you know, mm -hmm. its soul is gasping for beauty and truth mm -hmm. to come in, you know? And for me, that's like, I mean, that's what I'm after as an artist. And part of truth is that you are going to see the ugly. Mm -hmm. And if you want to reflect the real and if you want to speak to what's real and what's going on in people's lives, there's going to be an element of that. Mm -hmm. And but what the world does is it glorifies beauty. Mm -hmm. it, 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 um, it has an orgy with with ugliness. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an orgy of ugliness going on out there in the arts, um, you know, with with music that's just about violence and you know, slasher films or, or whatever, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Everything's on the, the verge of pornography these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you watch Game of Thrones, you can't get through, you know, half an episode without sex saying, position. Yeah, sex position. Exactly. Yeah. How did C.S. Lewis put it? Like, it's not that they're, he didn't use the word lust. It's not that they're uh, craving too much for sensuality. It's that they're not craving enough. Um, mm. So N.T. Wright has a really cool phrase like that. It might be him, but I'm he's like, uh, humanity designed to appreciate beauty and we settle for uh, sensuality or something like that. And we're meant to be in intimacy and we settle for lust or whatever. He, he talks yeah. about that in uh, Simply Christian. It's, I mean, it's like it's the difference between instant gratification and you know, and, and not, you know, it's the difference between sex before marriage and, and waiting, you know, mm -hmm. it's like the person who has sex before marriage seems really lustful and like, they're really, 
you know, they have an idol for beauty, for instance, mm-hmm. right? And that's what they're going after. But in, in fact, the person who saves themselves for marriage has a higher estimation of beauty and a higher desire for beauty. That's what I'm trying to say. And there's, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a quote yeah. about that that I can't. It's not on the tip of my tongue, but. Yeah. In some sense, it's not even that they're aiming at the wrong thing. They're aiming so low mm-hmm. <laughs> at what is the right thing, yeah. you know. Pleasure, like God had designed our, our bodies and our minds and for pleasure. And it's not that those people are going too much after pleasure. It's that they're not going after it enough, actually. Mm-hmm. They're not desiring it enough. Because the pleasure of God and like what he has for us is ultimate, right? Because we're going to spend eternity with him with pleasures at his right hand. That's how God's described, right? Yeah. He has pleasures at his right hand. Like, what does yeah. that even mean? Like, it's not singular. It's like... You get the sense that just endless, endless pleasure is at God's right hand. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. Uh, Epicurus, who is a Greek philosopher uh, who started Epicureanism, mm-hmm. is uh, known known for... <laughs> right, yeah. That's, that's, all, that's all I've got to say. Um, <laughs> right, but like when we think of Epicurean people, we think of people who are very caught up in like sensuality or like physical uh, pleasure or, you know, like eating to gluttony and all that kind of stuff uh, because his whole philosophy is based on do what feels good, right? But what's interesting is that the way he interpreted that was that he lived a completely ascetic lifestyle and, like, he wronged nobody and he had no possessions and he had, because he realized that the only way to truly feel good and to live this life who he supposed uh, whole purpose was to feel good, the only way to do that is to... Uh, like remove these bad things from your life and um you know a way you bring bad into your life is by wronging people or hurting people and so it's it's interesting that um it's it's like just like what you're saying that he um he realized that chasing pleasure could mean one of two things that you either indulge in it constantly or you don't indulge in it at all to some degree right right it's interesting I have, a, I have a question I think can wrap us up. I've been thinking about this a lot. Where do you see that you fit in to the body of Christ as an artist? Well, it's interesting because, first of all, like I said earlier, I, I do graphic design for a living, which to me is not art. And if you understand design and art, I feel like you'll see the difference clearly. Hmm. Um, like design, here's how I look at it. I'll make this as simple as I can. Like art is about expression, so it's about what the artist creates. And it's so, in that sense, it's about the artist, mm-hmm. right? Design is about who's going to use it at the end, right? And you're always working with the user in mind, so it's about the user. So art over here is about the artist, it's about self expression, design. Is about the user, the person's going to use it. So they're totally different things. Mm-hmm. Now they have things that overlap because I'm a, you know, I, I have a background in fine arts and I took up design for a, a couple of different reasons, like to make money and also because I was having physical problems mm. that made it difficult for me to keep drawing and painting, you know, carpal tunnel and all kinds of things like that. So I don't view my job every day as as art. Hmm. It is creative. It's very creative, you know, mm-hmm. what I do. 
Um, but it's a different animal. But I can do both to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And I said all that to say this. I, I have been feeling lately, like I've totally embraced myself as a designer and I found a lot of joy in it. And, and it, I feel like it's made me a better human being in a lot of ways because of that difference, right? Mm-hmm. Because before and in my background and my, you know, to go back when I was younger, it really was all about me. I wanted to be a famous artist and like, I wanted people to worship me. Like, I mean, in retrospect, I see mm-hmm. that clearly. And it's not that the art was bad or that I should give it up. But when I became a designer, God really used that to show me how self-consumed I was, even as an artist. And a, as a designer, I learned, hey, you got to listen to people, right? Because otherwise your design is going to fail. Like you can create something as good as you want and it can be beautiful and awesome. But if it doesn't fulfill the outline of of the end user who's going to use it, then it's kind of worthless. So I had to learn to listen, you know, Mm -hmm. and I had to ask, start asking a lot question questions and, and stop talking as much with my expression and listening and so as a designer like that, I, I discovered, you know, sides of myself and I feel like I'm a better human being just from making that switch. Like I hmm. used to be an artist and now I'm a designer. Hmm. But I will say that lately I feel like God's drawing me back to making art again, like fine art, um, which actually now that you brought this up brings me back to this quote that I'm going to read that I ran into today. It's by uh, Frederick Buechner, maybe? I'm probably butchering (laughs) butchering his name. (laughs) Um, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Mm. So I, I will say this. I've had a lot of good moments as a designer, but they can't touch some of the moments I've had as a painter. And I can't, that's something that's sort of like coming to this, been coming to the surface in the past few months. And I don't know what that means. Like I'm on this journey and I don't understand what's going on. It's just like the moment that I had in the subway. It's like God was telling me, hey, it wasn't that you weren't supposed to be an artist, that you weren't creative. You're just doing it totally wrong with the wrong motives for the wrong reasons to gain man's praise or whatever it may be, you know. And there's different levels of that. And so, you know, it's weird because I'm, I'm 43 years old. And if I measure myself with the metric stick of the world, I would have to say I'm a failure as an artist. I would have to say I'm probably a failure as a designer. I should probably at my age be making more money and, and, and have a higher position. Or as an artist, I would have a more developed portfolio and a style. And I don't have any of those things, you know. But I, this is what I do have. I feel like maybe, just just maybe, for the first time in my life, I can go and create art for all the right reasons. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not to gain people's praise. And it's not to impress people. And it's not to gain my father's approval, which was a huge thing for me for a long time. Because my father, my earthly father, never seemed interested in, in art. It's just not his world. He's an evangelical minister, and, like, that's his world. And for a time, I, I, you know, about three or four years ago, I was driving around in my car, and I was asking myself some of these questions, and 
this was after I came back from Latvia where I was quote unquote kind of a missionary there. And I come back and I'm like trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And I got art on my brain. I got being a minister and like, how does this all work out? And I'm praying and God like speaks to me and he's like, I don't need another preacher. Like just straight forward says that to me. I need an artist. Like, and that's who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had one of those moments where you just like the tears just start falling, you know, cause I felt free. Because I realized also in that moment, like I was trying to gain my father's approval mm-hmm. by like becoming this minister, missionary type of thing. And like God's like, you need to let that go, you know, and just embrace who you are and stop worrying about if your earthly father is going to recognize you. And in a larger sense, if anyone's going to recognize you. Because our family, right, is a microcosm of, of the world, mm-hmm. you know, and my father was that for me. And, I don't know if that answers your question. I know that I love mentoring other creative people. Um, I love encouraging them, even though I'm not very good at it, like, because I was, wasn't encouraged growing up. And so I mm-hmm. fail a lot at, at, at trying to encourage other people because I just don't have the words and I struggle for the words. And um, so that's become very important to me. It's almost as important to me as just creating art which I, you know, I don't know how those things all, all work out. But I know that there's things in my heart that God wants me to get out that need to be said. And I know that he's gifted me with creative abilities. And so there's a marriage in there that's supposed to happen between those two things. And I think if I, at this point in my life, I feel like he's just telling me, hey, get a studio space and start making art again. And like, just start making it for me, like just an audience of me and you, like that's all it really matters. And that doesn't mean don't make it with excellence and mm-hmm. you know, all that sort of thing mm-hmm. and all the things that you've learned. And, and, but just start making it because you want to make it. And don't worry about if it's com- commercially viable or if you can make money at it. Or, so, you know, that's where I'm at. As, as, and, and, you know, design... It keeps me creative, so I love that side of it, and it and it keeps me working with some of the same principles. But the approach is totally different, and the reasons that you make it are totally different, and it's just a different animal. And I feel like I've sort of existed in that word, world for a while, but it, it may not necessarily be for me. And I, I don't know. I haven't figured it out. Right on. That's a good enough answer. Yeah. That's good as any. I feel like I just need to start with making, getting back to the pure essence of what it means to be a maker and, like, mm-hmm. and, and reflect God's character in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think that's a good enough to end on. Yeah. I'm sure that was a really wordy answer. but That's the kind we like here at the fireside. <laughs> wordy answers. Well, you right? got the right guy sitting here because I am long-winded if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Well, uh, thanks again, Jeff, for being with us. It's been an incredible time. I I feel like this is going to be one of our best episodes yet. I mean, just sitting here. So thank you so much for being here. So before we go, we want to plug the website again, thefiresidecommunity.com. If you haven't checked it out, we post a lot of articles there. We post um, all of our podcasts up there. We've got a video section that is... Uh, not robust, but hopefully will be soon. 
and uh, it's essentially just the hub of Fireside. And so check it out, read some articles, listen to some other podcasts, um, leave a comment, tell us what you think. Yeah, we also want to say, you know, if you're if you're interested in creating any kind of, you know, substance for our site, just email us and let us know. And, you know, we'll definitely consider you that for that because we we are all about creating the community. Yeah. So I think it's actually interesting that you talk about uh, you want to create and then you want to mentor other creators. That's actually our whole philosophy at Fireside is that we want to move towards a uh, like nonprofit basically model to where we can make it financially viable for people trying to create this kingdom culture that we're talking about like you know either good Christian art and we say Christian art right you know we're not saying the, the Christian art the world doesn't need but Christians making good art right and then Christian music and then you know just cre- Christians making good things right and so uh, a big part of what we want to do is we want to be an organization that can help make that viable for people you know just think about like at what point in your career if you had somebody who could help you make a living doing this like where would you be now like if if someone caught you just like a couple years before it was commercially viable and just like walked you through that process while sustaining you financially or at least at least contributing to it like where would you be now uh, as an artist as a believer as a person i don't know i mean i i really feel like the sky's the limit i i could you know i could have my stuff in the in the moment i mean i don't know yeah i think i have the talent and the ability but i just never had I just never had the discipline, I never had the drive, mm-hmm. and I never had the support system yeah. that I really needed around me. Yeah. You know. And and so like we we realized that there's this uh like wall that you have to break through into commercially viable stuff. And we just we just want to kind of help ease that transition, I guess. Yeah. Um and we also think it's going to be really cool because, you know, say we can help transition somebody and then they're down the road making just quality stuff in the world that says wow look yeah. at that and then they point back to fireside and say well these guys help me out and then like help out these other people because they can end up where i'm at now yeah and so that's that's really our heart in the fireside community is uh is that kind of model yeah i mean me and my wife we we have a vision to to do this as a couple you know to to teach classes and to um, just create community and it, like we don't want to keep it closed just like just have it for christians but Mm -hmm. artists i mean artists need community and we Mm want to be there for them and and good community right like if we can offer them that good community then how much more likely are they to find christ in that good community i mean i'm I'm gonna start looking for a studio space that we can open up Mm -hmm. like and share and it's big enough to have classes and you know i don't have the money for it but i'm gonna start looking well, maybe we'll have to there. work together then. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, right on. Something to pray about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again uh, for joining us, and thanks, guys, for listening. I know I've had just an incredible time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thanks well, for thank man. For thank you. Agreeing to come up here last minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's now almost one o'clock. Uh, we're in a building in Ozark that I'm sure closed. Oh, I'm an sure. An hour yeah, ago. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure anyone knows we're here. This is <laughs> it's an experience. So I'm not sure that it's not pouring rain outside. Oh, <laughs> I, I think it definitely is. Yeah. I think it was at one point. Yeah, there's thunder. Hard. Yeah. So, well, until next time, guys. 
Should I? No, that's weird. Until next time. This is Houston Tucker signing off. This is Fireside Podcast. <laughs> Thank you for joining us here at Fireside Podcast, and we hope to see you next time. Amen. Amen. Then we're up.